Hello, welcome to Syracuse Speaks, The View from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman. Let's get started. All right, well, happy holidays, Crunch fans. First off, I just want to say thank you for your understanding. Obviously, this is usually not when I am posting another episode since I just posted an episode last week. The holiday season is upon us. Things are busy for both that reason and for others, so my schedule is a little wonky. I am going to be in and out of holiday parties and different festivities with families and whatever, so my weekends have gotten kind of packed. This weekend worked out best for me to get this first episode of the month out, so I really do appreciate your understanding with how wonky my schedule has gotten, and thank you so much. I hope you all are having a great holiday season so far and that it continues to be wonderful. Speaking of wonky schedules, I don't have a whole lot to share during this episode of this podcast that is crunch-related simply because Syracuse didn't play any games this past week. In a scenario that was a little bit too reminiscent of March of 2020 for a lot of us, a little bit too close for comfort there, the Crunch found all three of their games from this past week rescheduled. Now, this was not a result of anything Syracuse has done. Their their opposing teams, Rochester and Wilkes-Barre-Scranton, are facing COVID protocols and problems because of COVID-19 infections that we are assuming is all pretty much coming out of the Atlantic Division at this point in time. Rochester had played Hershey just previously. Hershey got slammed with quite a few COVID cases from what I understand. Bridgeport followed suit. Wilkes-Barre-Scranton was up next. Hartford is also dealing with a lot of COVID cases from what I gather from Twitter. Things are not looking too healthy in the Atlantic Division right now. Because of COVID protocols and because the league is trying to get this under control and keep it from spreading, they have been canceling a lot of games, either with teams that are from the Atlantic Division or teams that have just recently played the Atlantic Division and are therefore encountering problems of their own. Obviously, from a crunch perspective, this isn't ideal, but also from a crunch perspective, Syracuse would like to stay healthy. Syracuse did really well last season during the shortened 2021 season. They didn't have any games or anything canceled from anything that came from their own camp. So they would like to keep that streak going. And I know that the Lightning is also invested in keeping Syracuse playing and in keeping their prospects getting playing time and regular games in. So obviously Syracuse wants to stay healthy. They don't want anything to do with what's going on in the Atlantic division right now and what has slowly spread from there. I am glad personally that these games have been postponed, but it does create a little bit of an interesting scenario because none of these games have been rescheduled yet. Wednesday's game was at Rochester That has been postponed. A new date has not yet been announced. Friday's and Saturday's game were both in Syracuse. Friday's game was supposed to be against Wilkes-Barre. Saturday's game was supposed to be against Rochester. Neither one of those games have had new dates announced either. Looking at the Crunch's schedule moving forward, this time period was really supposed to be their heavy home game period. For whatever reason, the way that Syracuse's schedule worked out this season was a little bit different from it has in the past. Usually in the past, the Crunch finds a home-heavy back end of the schedule with the second half having more home games than the first half. But this time around, for whatever reason, the schedule reflected a different scheme. The 
Crunch has had a lot of home games in the first half of the season and won't have so many in the second half, or at least that was the original plan. Thankfully, from Syracuse's perspective, the War Memorial really isn't used for much of anything else, so it shouldn't be too much of a hard time to reschedule those games. I think it's just that the league has to look at trying to make sure that teams aren't playing too much and that it works out when it comes to what the other opponent is doing too as far as rescheduling those games. So it definitely is a little bit more complicated than just slapping a new date out there, and I'm not necessarily surprised that it's taking us a little bit to get these, the news of these games and the rescheduled dates out to us. One of the things that has been rescheduled and that we do know is the Crunch's teddy bear toss. That has been rescheduled for this Wednesday, which I I was glad to see that they got a new day out rather quickly, but I'm a little, you know, I do think that it's kind of too bad that the closest home date was a Wednesday to reschedule this event. Syracuse is between a rock and a hard place right now. The Crunch hosts Cleveland on Wednesday, and then they travel to Charlotte for the following weekend. So they actually aren't back in Syracuse until the 17th with a visit to Toronto in between those dates. So Syracuse is actually going to be away for a week and a half after their game this Wednesday. The December 17th, 18th game really kind of brings this event a little bit too close to Christmas. I'm sure that that's what the team is figuring. I'm not sure what how things work out with Stanley Steamer and the timeframes that they're looking at and all of that kind of stuff. But I am sure that Syracuse is well aware that rescheduling this kind of event for Wednesday might not end up with the greatest effect when it comes to flinging those teddy bears and being able to throw them out onto the ice. Obviously, the Crunch knows that their Wednesday games are not as well attended as they would probably like them to be. Maybe this will encourage more people to come out. I know personally, weekday games are just not a possibility for me. I'm generally up pretty early in the morning, and it takes me about 50 minutes to get to Syracuse and back from my apartment, so it just doesn't work out for me in particular, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people for whom it doesn't work out either. However, again, with the schedules and with everything that the crunch has coming up, this was sort of a rock and a hard place situation. I can't blame them for going with Wednesday, and maybe it'll help the attendance a little bit. You never know. We can always hope moving forward that the team is going to be able to avoid these schedule changes and the pitfalls that come along with them, but unfortunately, this is the life that we find ourselves in in the AHL. The AHL has always been an unpredictable league, and and the COVID era has just added another layer to that unpredictability. There's nothing anybody can do about it other than really try their best to follow the protocols and do what teams need to do to stay healthy. Clearly, that wasn't happening in the Atlantic Division. The AHL has since locked down on some rules and regulations that they are asking teams to follow moving forward, including locking down on Christmas parties and a couple of other things, increased mask wearing in both home and away arenas. There's a couple of other rules that the league issued in response to these COVID outbreaks. Would have been nice had teams been religiously following these previously. However, what's done is done. And now we just have to hope that moving forward, the league can avoid these kind of mass interruptions because there have been a lot of games rescheduled because of this outbreak in the Atlantic Division. 
Hopefully it won't spread to the north. Hopefully everybody in the north will be able to stay healthy. And hopefully all of the players that are affected by these positive tests and the things that are happening will be okay. They are definitely all in my thoughts, opponents or not. This is not something that you want to be seeing happening to anybody, especially around the holidays. So my best wishes to those players and teams involved in all of this. And my fingers are absolutely crossed that the crunch and the front office and the fans and everybody else stay healthy and are able to go through this outbreak in the American Hockey League without any sustaining consequences to anybody because this is not what any of us want to see. So best wishes to those involved and fingers crossed that no more interruptions happen to the crunch's schedule moving forward. So what else do we have to talk about? Well, I do have some good news coming out of the Tampa Bay Lightning for you. One of those pieces of good news is the emergence of Gabriel Fortier. Fortier got called up to the Lightning because of some injuries that they're currently going through. Nikita Kucherov is still a little bit far away from returning. Matthew Joseph has been hurt. So Fortier has gotten called up. He made his NHL debut on November 30th. And although he hasn't scored his first goal yet, All of the reviews that I have seen of his play have been really complimentary. My buddies over at Raw Charge had a lot of praise for him during his opening game because he kept going to the front of the net and looking for those deflections. They talked about how feisty he's been, and that feistiness can really be attributed to the work that Fortier put in when he was with the Crunch in the American Hockey League. My assumption is that once the Lightning gets some players back down, Fortier will be returned to Syracuse. I don't really see them sending down someone in his place. But there was also some talk from some of my other friends about Fortier's tenacity and hopes that he'll be able to sustain that because it was really exciting to watch him play out there. And a lot of people were really cheering for him, and it was fun to be on Twitter that night and see all of the people that really were talking about him so positively after his NHL debut. Obviously, as AHL fans, that's really all we can hope for. AHL fans want their players going up. They want them making a splash. They want their talent to really speak to the time that they have spent in the American Hockey League, developing, honing their game, learning the organizational systems, and doing all of the things that they've been doing that earned them the call-up in the first place. So it's been really nice to see Fortier earn those compliments, and I'm really excited to see what happens with him moving forward. There was also a quick transaction that I can talk about. The Lightning sent Sean Day back to Syracuse, so Syracuse's blue line gets a little bit of a boost. That will be great going into next week's slate of games as Syracuse looks to play Cleveland and then Charlotte down there in North Carolina, so that's great. Day is back. Syracuse's blue line has been a little rough (laughs) so hopefully day can come back and and add some consistency to that the last crunch alum that I just wanted to mention as someone that I could be talking about right now while I'm kind of foiling around and looking for things to say was Taylor Radish Radish scored his first NHL goal just this past weekend it was Saturday night December 4th and he actually ended up scoring it shorthanded so he really honed his penalty-killing skills when he was with Syracuse. He was definitely one of the Crunch's top PKers while he was with the Crunch, especially during his final season. And he got to show that off Saturday night with a goal that was really pretty killer. 
If you haven't seen it, I retweeted it over on my Field Pass Hockey Crunch account, um, FBH Crunch. And I also have embedded the GIF into the article that goes along with this podcast episode. So please make sure to go check it out. As always, Crunch fans can get really excited and really feel a sense of pride when they see these guys go on to the NHL. For a while there, it seemed like all anyone was talking about Saturday night was Taylor Radish's goal. So it was really neat to see. Congratulations to him. I am sure that that is the first of many more to come. Brian Burns tweeted out a really interesting line that came from NHL stats that Taylor Radish was the fifth Lightning player to score his first career goal shorthanded. One of those players to do that was Yanni Gord. So Radish is definitely in good company there. And warm congratulations to him. Like I said, I'm sure that is the first of many to come moving forward. Knowing that I only had a week in between podcast episodes, I had figured that this episode was going to be short on content to start with. Knowing what I know now, I was actually very glad that I reached out to my social media followers and told them that I was going to be doing an Ask Me Anything for this episode just to give myself a little bit more content and also maybe to forge a little bit more of a connection between my listeners, my followers, and this podcast. I am really grateful to everyone that has listened over the past two years or so since I started Syracuse Speaks, and I would like to continue to increase that connection between us. So I reached out to my social media followers on Instagram, my personal Twitter, which if you care, it's at Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O, and those on my Field Pass Hockey account, just to see if they had any questions that they would like me to answer. I opened it up to any topic up to and including hockey, but pretty much anything in between. And I got some really interesting questions that I'm actually looking forward to chatting through. First up, I have a question from Matthew, who is a follower over at my Field Pass Hockey account. And he just asks, are you doing okay? (laughs) Complicated question there, Matthew, although it is better now. So for those of you who aren't aware, I decided this past summer that I was going to go back to school to complete an advanced certificate of study in educational administration. Basically, this is what's going to allow me to be a building principal, a district superintendent, or work in some other administrative capacity like with a local BOCES or in the area of curriculum development and design, those kinds of things. This has significantly increased my stress levels and the amount of work I have to do. Obviously, this is not a full-time student situation. I am working full-time, and once a week I have had a grad class up in Rochester to go to for five hours every week. So it has been a long couple of months, 
This is in addition to my teaching responsibilities and also my responsibilities in two different leadership positions in my building. I am the innovation leader and the ELA leader for the elementary building in the district that I work in, and I am also serving as a mentor to one of our new teachers in the district, who is absolutely amazing, by the way. So I love her to pieces, but that's besides the point. It has been a very busy couple of months, probably the most busy I have ever been in my life. At the end of it, I have one class left to my fall semester this Monday. We're just meeting at a local pub and we're just going to relax as a class and be able to chill out for the evening, which I am very thankful for. But at the end of it, I must admit to feeling very fulfilled and proud of myself that I have come this far. But also looking back, I am worn down and it was a hell of a couple of months. So I am doing better now that most of that is behind me. The class culminated with a really important presentation in front of the leaders and superintendents of several school districts that made up the group that I worked with to develop the presentation. And I do just want to give a shout out to Derek, Aaron, and Bree, although I don't think they listen to this. Derek might because he is a little bit into the crunch, but the rest of them I don't think will, but still... We made up Team Future Builders for our EAD class, and I never would have made it through without them. So I definitely want to send out some love and good vibes to them in appreciation for everything that they have done over the past couple of months to study me and help me get through. So (laughs) am I doing okay? I'm all right. I am pretty lucky in that I have a strong support system. Even though I am a single household, it is still okay. I pretty much am allowed to live the way I would like to, which is one of the benefits of being single. I don't have anyone else to consider. I don't have a family that I have to keep a, keep an eye on and keep a lookout for and support. So it's just me, which I definitely think helps deal with stress and helps me to live my life the way I need to. If that means coming home and being miserable all night long, then that's what it means. If that means coming home and going to bed at 7.30 at night some nights because I am exhausted, I can do that too. So there are benefits and I'm doing okay. So that was kind of the the long form answer to that question. But I definitely appreciated the personal interest in my well-being and I thank you, Matthew. Moving on, Dylan reached out and asked me, have you ever fainted? Yes. Uh, So some of my students occasionally listen to this podcast. I'm not going to go into detail too much, but for the adult listeners in the audience, most of you are probably aware that there are certain beverages that should not be mixed with hot tubs. Let me just state that this was not something I was super familiar with in my 20s, and I was with a group of trusted people, thankfully good friends of mine. We had some of those beverages. We were in in a hot tub just enjoying ourselves on a cold winter night and got out of the hot tub, and things went sideways. And by things, I mean me. I believe I hit my head on a bookshelf on my way down, But I really was not out for very long. In fact, I think I was only out for a second or two before I came to. And uh, just enough to scare the pants off of everybody that was at the party. But, you know, everything was fine. I was fine. 
And, you know, it's interesting because when you read about fainting in books, people are always like, I just, I woke up and all of a sudden I was on the ground and I had no idea how it happened. And I knew exactly how it happened. I can actually recall to this day that feeling of, oh, I'm going down. And sure enough, boy, I went down. So yes, I have fainted. That was the only time, although I will say that I came very, very close during a game that I have discussed on this podcast before. It was during the 2013 Calder Cup Finals. It was Syracuse's fourth game of the series. It was in Grand Rapids, and it looked like Grand Rapids had just taught, had just scored a tying goal with less than a minute or so on the clock. And as we stood there waiting for the officials to figure out whether it was a goal or not, side note, thank goodness it was shown not to be a goal, I was really, really close to having another experience with fainting. My blood pressure was a little high. I just had this awful feeling that if they were awarded that goal, the crunch was not making it out of that game. And the series would not continue because Grand Rapids had won the first three. So... As someone who had traveled to Grand Rapids and was standing in the audience, that was not the way I wanted that season to end, and I was very relieved when it did not, but that was probably the only other time that I have ever come that close to fainting. That pretty much concludes the personal question portion of this whole thing. Uh, Next up is actually some Harry Potter questions, which I was really thrilled to get because I'll talk Harry Potter with anybody, pretty much like I'll talk hockey with anybody. So Scott Thomas reached out to me on my personal account, and Scott is pretty well known in crunch circles. He is their fantastic photographer. I've actually had him on this podcast before. So if you're interested in hearing more about Scott and the work that he does with the team, I really encourage you to look back at that episode. He was a fantastic guest. He reached out to me and he asked, are you watching the Harry Potter trivia game on TBS? If so, are you playing along? Unfortunately, I am not watching it. I am not exactly a cord cutter, but I am someone who never had the cord to begin with. When I moved out of my parents' house and out to Rochester seven or so years ago, I didn't have a television. When I moved to the Finger Lakes, I did get one, but I never got cable. I don't know if TBS is affiliated with any kind of streaming service or if the episodes are archived somewhere where I could see them, but certainly if they were or if they are, I would be watching and I definitely would be playing along. I did hear from some of my students who are watching that Hufflepuff won the first round or the first episode or however they do it so way to go puffs and i am really proud that my house represented so well and i hope that that continues as the series goes through i am participating in the wizarding world's online quiz they post it once a week and you can go on and earn virtual points for your house obviously i am a hufflepuff so i am doing that But I have not had a chance to find out if the series is being streamed anywhere or if I could watch it anywhere online. Thanks for the question, Scott. I appreciated it. Also on my personal account and also about Harry Potter, Robert asks me, I'd love to know why Lupin was on the Hogwarts Express. Professors don't take the train, did they? Okay, so... I really had to resist the urge to Google this and find out what other people were saying about this theory because I really wanted to develop my own. 
For those of you who aren't familiar with the series, you probably do not care. But really quickly, I will recap what the situation is here. Students get to Hogwarts using the Hogwarts Express. It leaves from London on the 1st of September every year and pulls into Hogsmeade Station, which is a village that is right outside of Hogwarts. Come to think of it, I am not exactly sure what the students do who aren't close to London or who can't get to London. Maybe they operate into Hogsmeade and then go from there. I really don't know, and it's never been explained. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that tangent. Let's move on. So they take this train into Hogwarts, and generally, the professors are not on the train. Another side tangent that I thought of while thinking of this was, what in the world is this school thinking, letting all of these teenagers between the ages of 11 and 17 alone on a train together for hours that it takes to get from London to somewhere in Scotland, which is assumed where Hogwarts is. Can you even, is there a land route to get? I'm not going to get into that either. Geography is not my strong suit. Moving on, plot holes are not my concern right now. But boy, I could talk about that one for a long time too. Anyways, so these teenagers are alone on the Hogwarts Express with each other for hours as the train travels to Hogwarts. We have never been shown as readers professors on the train until we get to book three. I now have a theory that there is a secret compartment somewhere on the train that contains adults that the teenagers just don't know about and that J.K. Rowling chose not to show to us because let's be honest, it really doesn't matter. However, up until now, we have never seen a professor on the train. In the third book or the third movie, it doesn't really matter which one, Professor R.J. Lupin shows up on the train, and his timing is very fortuitous because the children are attacked by a force that generally is believed to be a symbol of depression. They are called Dementors, and they make the air all go all cold, and all you can think of is all of the terrible things in your life, and they're very depressing creatures. Generally, they are considered to be full-on symbols of depressive episodes. This Dementor shows up. The children don't know how to fight him off because they haven't been taught that level of advanced magic yet. R.J. Lupin wakes up. He has been asleep at this point in time because, again, plot convenience. Just remember, this is usually a book series for children. So forgive it, some of this kind of silliness that goes on. He wakes up. He does the spell. The Dementor goes away. The kids are like, oh, wow, thanks, whatever. And Lupin is like, here, have some chocolate, child that I am pretending I don't know, even though I knew you as a baby. I'm going to go talk to the driver and probably collect myself and try not to cry because, oh, my God, it's James's kid. (laughs) Okay, so what was all that about? Lupin knew Harry's parents growing up. He was good friends with his parents, and he was good friends with a young little rat by the name of Peter Pettigrew. He was also really good friends with another man whose name was Sirius Black. And if you know anything about the third book or movie at all, you will know that Sirius Black is an escaped convict who supposedly killed Pettigrew way back when because Black was a Voldemort supporter, Pettigrew allowed Voldemort to be defeated by protecting the child Harry Potter. It it, it makes sense if you read the book. I'm just really trying to be brief about this for those of you who don't know. 
Lupin knows Harry's entire history. He knows all of the people involved. He was a member of the original Order of the Phoenix, which was a group that was united in fighting against Voldemort and his supporters, the Death Eaters. They were really tight when they were teenagers and then into young adults. Why was Lupin on the train? My theory on this actually goes off into a couple different areas. My first theory is just simply that because it was thought that Sirius Black was after Harry, it was it had been heard in Sirius's sleep before he escaped from the wizard prison that he's at Hogwarts, he's at Hogwarts. The logic was that Sirius wanted to kill Harry for allowing the Dark Lord Voldemort to be killed himself. So he wanted revenge. He escaped from the prison and assumably was going after Harry. So it made sense to have some kind of adult presence on the train at that point in time. Lupin in particular made sense for a couple of different reasons. The first reason is just simply that out of all of the original members of the Order of the Phoenix, he was the one who was most invested in making sure Harry was safe. Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Weasley would also have been invested in that 100%. However, it really wouldn't have made much sense for them to be on the train. And all accounts hold that they weren't as familiar with the Potters and with Harry as a baby as Lupin probably was. So first up, he's probably the one in the order, or at least the original order, that was most invested in keeping Harry alive. Second of all, he was the best friend of Sirius Black. He would have been the one who would have been most aware of how Black would react in this kind of a situation if he did confront Harry on the train, and he would have been the one most prepared to go up against him and hopefully defeat him if that situation ever came out. So that's my second thinking on that. My third thinking actually involves a little bit of Dumbledore plotting. So Lupin knew Harry as a baby. He knew James and Lily, Harry's parents, as parents. He also knew them as teenagers. He is aware that Sirius Black is, at least from what we know at this point in time, the reason why the Potters are dead. There's a lot of history here. And knowing that Lupin was coming back to Hogwarts, for all we know, the first time since he graduated from Hogwarts, to see Lily and James's son for the first time in the Great Hall would have probably been a fairly large emotional blow to Lupin, especially considering all of the trauma he himself had gone through. I don't want to spoil too much for those of you who haven't read it yet somehow and who yet might somehow, but there's a lot of trauma in Lupin's life. There's a lot of trauma in all of these characters' lives, but Lupin in particular, I have a real soft spot for. So I would also like to believe that Dumbledore knew that the amount of emotional impact that it was going to be on Lupin to see Harry James Potter in the Great Hall for the first time, the Great Hall where he had been with Lily and James and Sirius and Pettigrew all of those years, where he had made friends, where he felt protected. Hogwarts was really the first place where Lupin felt accepted since he was a child. There's a lot going on here. To see that child for the first time in the Great Hall with all of those memories and all of those connections, that might have been a lot for him to handle. And so I would also like to believe that Dumbledore maybe said, all right, go on the train, protect the boy, 
see him for the first time there. Maybe it wouldn't have so much of an impact. Maybe it wouldn't have had been quite so emotional for him. Those are my theories. It's brought up a lot of plot holes and loopholes in my brain that I continue to think over, but that is my theory on that particular thing. Finally, I have one more question for this segment, and it comes from my friend Chad. Some of you know him as CC. He was responsible for me joining what was then Simbin News, which is now Field Pass Hockey. He's still a good friend of mine. He has moved on from Field Pass Hockey and is doing his own thing now, and I've really enjoyed continuing to keep up with him. So he reached out and he was like, okay, what are your favorite AHL logos of all time, either Syracuse or otherwise? I actually gave the AHL portion of this a lot of thought because I don't generally pay attention to other teams and their logos. The Syracuse part was easy. My favorite Syracuse logo of all time is Al, who is the quote-unquote ice gorilla that the Crunch had as a mascot in the early 2000s onward until the Crunch affiliated with the Lightning and changed over to the superhero Crunchman. Al was the mascot of the team that I first started with when I first started watching the team in 2004. He was the logo that I was most familiar with, and he was the logo that to me meant Syracuse hockey. Now, to be fair, I actually think that the Anaheim years, Al, that was a little bit of a darker format. The eyes were orange instead of the neon yellow that it was during the Columbus years. It was just a little bit of a darker profile, was actually more effective in the hockey world. So I actually think if I'm looking at all-time Syracuse favorite logos, I'm going to go with Al during the Anaheim era. But overall, Al was definitely my favorite mascot and logo, although I have to say that the original iteration of Al, which is just absolutely terrifying, is not being included in this consideration. I am going with the middle middle 2000s, like 2004-ish, when I first started watching the team through those Anaheim years, because that original Al, which I have seen video of, yeesh, he was scary. I would not have wanted to see that in person. So when it comes to Syracuse logos, that is actually the one that I am familiar with the most and the one that I tend to lean towards when I think of my favorite crunch logos. The AHL, though, is another kettle of fish. And as much as I love the crunch, and obviously, I mean, they're my team, I don't actually think their logo is my favorite in all of the league. If I could consider the future, I actually think that the Coachella Valley Firebirds might end up being my favorite just because of its resemblance to a phoenix and that feeds into Harry Potter lore. I also like the Laval Rockets logo. I think that that is really strong. I like that it incorporates the city name into the the R. It's, It's a really cool font. I enjoy that one. I think, though, if I have to go, if I'm going for primary logos... I think my favorite belongs to the Manitoba Moose. I was actually really sad when Manitoba left the league there a couple of years ago because I have always admired their jersey design. I love the fact that the numbers have those little like antler accents on the back. I'm actually on their website right now and I'm noticing that the letters for captain and alternate captain also have that accent and some of their holiday 
things have like little ornaments hanging from the antlers of the moose, which is super cute. I just really appreciate how the colors all come together. I like the fact that there's tribute to the wilderness that is Manitoba in the pine trees that are visible in the main logo on their site. I just have always appreciated the care that was clearly taken when developing Manitoba's logos and how their jerseys look and how the everything comes together. And I was really happy to see that care and consideration return when the team came back not that long ago. I miss playing Manitoba. Syracuse used to be in the same division as Manitoba when I first started watching the league. And I mean, Syracuse used to be in the same division as a couple of Texas teams too. So it was definitely a weird format back when there wasn't as many teams and geographic areas available to choose from in the American Hockey League. So unfortunately, Syracuse doesn't play Manitoba now and doesn't play Texas either. But that's a side, that's a side conversation all on its own. So I haven't gotten to see the jerseys up close since they returned to the league, but I've always really admired them. I always like the way that they come together, and I definitely would say that they are my favorite out of all of the current main logos in the league. Now, if I get to consider alternate logos, I think I have to head on over to Milwaukee and take a quick visit with the Milwaukee Admirals. The Admirals actually have a couple of different alternate logos, and from what I can see, I'm on sportslogos.net right now, and I think that this is still an alternate logo that they are using, but when Carl Gehring was with Milwaukee, their logo, which they had as their main logo, I think from like 2006 to 2015, was this cartoony skeleton. And the main logo was the cartoony skull with a fun-looking hat on top, you know, the, the admirals, whatever. And then the full logo itself was that adorable little skeleton playing hockey. And there was just and, – and now that I'm looking at it up close, he's actually playing hockey with his own leg. At least I, I hope it's his own. I hope he didn't, I don't know, club someone else and take their leg. But regardless, there was just something about – this little dude that I really appreciated. I don't actually care much for Milwaukee's main current logo. It's kind of scary. I'm not a big fan. It sort of looks like a demonic skeleton, more like a Halloween skeleton versus this alternate logo that I'm talking about that's that's a little bit more of a doofy, cartoony kind of logo. He's a little bit cuter. He's a little bit more kid-friendly. I am a little bit of a stereotypical woman in that I like cute things, so I do kind of appreciate the more cartoony skeleton, you know, playing hockey with his own leg. It sounds horrifying, but it's actually executed really well in the logo. So if I could go with alternate logos, I have to say that that is actually my favorite out of everybody. Perhaps it has something to do that with the fact that they had it while, while Gehring was playing there. That certainly might have, you know, there might be some some truth to that. But I also just think it's, it's a really smart take on the skeletal form of this pirate with the admirals and, and all of this kind of stuff. I think that it's neat. I think that it fit that era, especially when, like, Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean was really popular and they kind of turned these skeletal pirates into comedians and all of that was going on. I think it fit the era really well. Those are my kind of summarized favorite logos if I check out the American Hockey League. 
If you have not had a chance, though, by the way, to look at the Coachella uh, Coachella Valley Firebirds and, and their logo. I think that's going to look really, really smart on jerseys. So I'm really excited to see as that comes to fruition and as we see what that ends up looking like. I think that will do it for this week's episode. So I want to thank you all so much for listening. I'm Alex Ackerman. I'm the host and creator of this podcast. And my social media is always open to anybody who wants to come follow me or wants to give any kind of feedback or ask questions. My personal Twitter is at Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O, and my hockey handle is over at Sinbin Crunch. I would also like to thank Kevin McLeod and Purple Planet Music for the royalty-free tracks that were heard throughout this podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful week or two until I see you again. Take care of each other out there in Crunchland, and I'll talk to you soon. Music